I'm Anthony Pastore. Welcome to UBS On Air. Today, I am speaking with my colleague, Nicole Sebastian, a senior strategist within the Family Office Solutions Group, or FOSG, representing the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team. The mission of this group is to serve as a thought partner to exceptional families. We understand that your family's needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing your wealth for continuity. The team works with UBS financial advisors and their clients to accomplish a couple of different goals. Clarify and articulate shared values and goals, bridge the gap between generations to perpetuate your family's legacy, and develop a well-thought-out plan to support your family's goals and philanthropic aspirations. So a little bit more on my colleague, Nicole. She's been with UBS since 2014 and first joined to establish and launch with UBS Optimist Foundation presence in the United States. Together with financial advisors, Nicole is helping UBS's most philanthropic clients from the Americas, from Alaska to Argentina. Speaking several languages and having an international background certainly helps her in her daily conversations with our clients. She's got over two decades of experience in the nonprofit, philanthropic, and corporate sectors and brings a wealth of knowledge in nonprofit management, corporate and nonprofit governance, fundraising, performance assessment, leadership advisory services, and policy research. She also serves as an adjunct professor at NYU Stern School of Business now for seven years right here in New York City, and she teaches a course on nonprofit governance. She's a part of the UBS Global Philanthropy Services team, which consists of over 50 team members who are based across the world, and she works directly with UBS's most valued clients, helping them, in short, to achieve their philanthropic aspirations. And Nicole's with me today. Nicole, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for being here, Nicole. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start with private foundations, Nicole, as a, as a kickoff here. What are the first things that people should think about if they're considering a foundation. Thank you so much, Anthony. Let me start by emphasizing that the first step is to have a conversation with your financial advisor and decide together that a foundation is the best choice for your family. My colleague Julie Binder did a podcast on donor-advised funds and private foundations, a really good overview on both charitable vehicles, which provides useful information on whether either or both make sense for you and your family. Now, to address your question more directly, private foundations are a tool for engaging family in your philanthropic vision and teaching them valuable skills. When establishing a private foundation, some may focus on setting it up from a legal and good governance perspective. Others are more focused on the mission, vision, and purpose of the foundation. And then another focus may be on how to engage the family in this venture. It is also important to remember that they are charitable entities governed by strict rules from the IRS. And you you mentioned good governance. Nicole, tell me a little bit about what that means for a private foundation. Sure. In basic governance terms, a foundation can be established in a corporate or trust structure. And we often hear about best practices around governance. But as every family is different, the particulars for each family foundation will also differ. So it feels more appropriate to focus on what good practices can include. So how it is staffed, either with family members or with outside employees, and how the board is comprised, meaning who serves on the board and how many board members, may vary based on the state where the foundation is registered and also based on personal family decisions about how the foundation will operate. The complexity of the foundation and its activities will naturally impact staffing decisions too, 
things like the selection criteria of grantees to fund, the level of impact measurement the foundation wants to engage in, and the type of grant making that fam- the family wants to do. Right. That, that's really interesting, Nicole. And thanks for bringing us up to speed. But in, in addition to some of the key highlights around good governance, what are some of the other requirements for private family foundations? Private foundations are required to gift 5% of their previous year's average assets. This calculation also factors in when the foundation was created and funded, so it is important to ask your tax advisor for the actual dollar amount from the previous year's tax return. In a minute, I will highlight a few key considerations on this as it relates to the COVID-19 environment we're currently navigating, but for now, let me get back to your broader question on governance requirements. The Foundation Board needs to ensure there is sufficient liquidity to meet these obligations, which are often referred to as the Minimum Distribution Requirement, or MDR. While the total number of board members may vary and a minimum might be dictated by the state of incorporation, it is important that roles and responsibilities be assigned. Um, Minimum oversight responsibilities include the tasks associated with the president or chair, the secretary, and treasurer. The president presides over board meetings, develops agendas for topics to be covered, and facilitates the strategic board discussions. The treasurer oversees the financials, including the investment strategy, cash flow, administrative considerations, and ultimately ensures that the MDR requirements are met. And the secretary is responsible for recording minutes from the board meetings to capture what is discussed and also have these recorded minutes accessible for audit purposes. Make sure to capture in the official minutes only the key decisions and votes and only that which the board finds acceptable to have as publicly accessible. The board is required to meet at least once per year or more frequently as needed or desired, and the meetings offer opportunities to discuss how grant programs are faring, if there's a need for course correction, uh, new funding areas for consideration, and also learning and development opportunities for board members. Great. And Nicole, let's get back to the COVID-19 remark that you made, what are some of the relevant considerations, especially right now that we're in this situation, what are some of them that uh, listeners should be made aware of? Clients are concerned about their foundations meeting the minimum distribution requirements given current market losses and having sufficient liquidity to meet those requirements. Uh, Three key things they should look into uh, include consulting their tax advisors to review and understand their MDR calculation, reviewing the prior year's tax returns to determine if there are any available carry-forward balances to actually lower grant-making obligations for this year, and consider unique opportunities to give in the current environment like making a loan to support an infrastructure build-out or doing a program-related investment, also known as a PRI, to fund activities that might fall outside the scope of a registered 501c3 organization, such as medical research. Secondly, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act, was signed into law by President Trump on March 27, 2020. And the items that are relevant to philanthropy in this act include... Uh, that for tax years beginning in 2020, a $300 above-the-line charitable deduction is available for charitable gifts of cash made to qualifying charitable organizations. Note that this deduction, however, is not available for those who itemize deductions, and it is not available for gifts to a private foundation or to a donor-advised fund. 
Secondly, for cash gifts to qualifying charitable organizations in calendar year 2020, the 60% deduction limit on cash contributions has been suspended, meaning that donors could actually receive a dollar-for-dollar deduction. And contributions in excess of the taxpayer's adjusted gross income may be carried forward for five years. However, again, this 100% deduction is not available for cash gifts to a private foundation or to a donor-advised fund. And the laws and regulations being developed in response to this pandemic are ever-evolving. So I cannot emphasize enough the importance of connecting with your financial advisor and your tax advisor on these and on any other new developments as they arise. Right. That's that's great advice, Nicole. I, I want to pivot a little bit with you to talk about ways to engage the actual family. What what do you recommend? Remember, each family is different. So the formality of the board's roles and responsibilities will also vary. But we do find that clients are often interested in ways to engage their family in their philanthropic work. And it is the financial advisor that brings us into the relationship and into the conversation with the client about this. So when your family has children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, you might wonder at what age they should start becoming involved. Uh, A good practice is to invite all the young people to listen in to the family decisions about the grants being made, the causes being supported, and why you chose those recipients. We often say that values are caught, not taught. And these younger generations of our families are watching what we do, and they're listening to what we say, and it is shaping their perception of our values long before we think to articulate them. And if the children or rising generation family members are adults, assigning them a key role, either, let's say, as a staff or board uh, as part of the foundation, it can help to give them exposure and experience in leadership and decision-making. It can be a great way to learn about finance, performance measurement, charitable programs, and the issues they are looking to address. Uh, Involving children is also a way to clarify and emphasize shared values, keep the family centered around shared experiences, and work towards or refine a family's legacy. If the children are younger or, let's say, not yet aware of the extent of the family's wealth, Philanthropy can be a useful tool to gradually increase the information you share with children and grandchildren while deepening bonds and teaching them valuable skills. And it can provide access to a world beyond that in which they have grown up and teach them about empathy and the responsibilities that come with wealth. That's great. What would you, what would you advise then, Nicole, and, or suggest to a family who may not even know where to start implementing these recommendations, especially, like you said, if you have a family with younger children? A great way to start introducing the rising generation to philanthropy is to invite them to see the impact of the family's work. Give them space to see and experience the work and ask their own questions to help get a deeper understanding for who you are supporting and why. And you may actually be surprised by what you learn um, about them by taking this approach. Uh, If they're at an age where you're comfortable having them volunteer and help organizations in your community, have them meet with an organization they're interested in to learn more about what kind of impact they could bring. Uh, Consider having them make a presentation to the family about the impact a financial gift might have and then vote on a monetary gift to match their time commitment. It's important that the rising generation feel connected and invested. So if they're not excited about any of your grantees, it might be a good time to work with them to identify an organization or a cause that they're passionate about and that you feel comfortable supporting financially. Uh, When the children are in middle or high school, 
uh, really depending on the maturity level, you might consider establishing a junior board and getting them involved in a more structured and official way. Uh, if you make the decision that family members can become involved when they hit a certain age, it's really important to honor that also for the children that come after them. Yeah, uh, the idea of a, ju- a junior board actually is really interesting and it sounds really immersive. Maybe you could expand a little bit more on, on how you would suggest getting something like that started. Sure. Uh, a junior board provides an opportunity for young members of the family to begin to grow their philanthropic passion as well as to develop valuable skills. Um, in order for a junior board to be successful, structure and agreed upon amount of ownership and specific responsibilities and goals should be articulated and honored. Uh, and inf- an important first step is to share information with these new members of your foundation. Even if they've been casual observers of the foundation activity and they've been kind of around, uh, now is a great time to articulate the foundation's mission, some basic or detailed grant history, and the origin story of the foundation. Uh, For example, did your family create the foundation from a liquidity event following the sale of a family business? Uh, Was it the result of an estate plan from a previous generation? Or did the foundation have a more delicate or fraught origin story? Uh, Being transparent about the original purpose of the foundation and the circumstances under which it was created provides an important lesson into the history of your family. Uh, One approach you can take is to have the junior board work on a project together. Um, Assign the rising generation a budget and an objective, uh, brainstorming a problem they want to address, and then researching the work that's being done in that area is a wonderful way to deepen relationships among siblings or cousins. Uh, A side benefit is that it gives them a chance to learn about strengths they each have or even to figure out how to support each other's areas for growth or development. They can then present the charity or cause that they chose to the family at the next board meeting and explain their process and rationale for that support. Learning about an organization or cause, working together, and presenting their selection are all things that contribute to valuable skills and building blocks that these members of the rising generation will have for the rest of their lives. And depending on the geographic range of the project, they might also begin to learn about how different problems manifest in different parts of the country or even the world, and how a solution that works in Kansas might not apply in Maryland, Peru, or Ethiopia. That's really terrific, Nicole. Thank you for for filling us in a little bit more about that idea. It's it's, it's really interesting and so unique. Uh, so as we're wrapping up, any any final tips that you want to share with our audience? Yes, thanks for that, Anthony. I do have a few. If you discover along the way that various members of the family have vastly different areas of interest, you can devise a strategy that allows for different grant allocations or a a bucketing approach, as we say, uh, per thematic areas areas or across family members. Uh, Consider a conversation or an exercise to help the family articulate their shared values and think of what interests or passions each person has that can fit within the umbrella of those values. This can be a good way to bring the family together while also honoring different areas of interest. For some families, there's an interest in maintaining control through the formal board of the foundation. But allowing for outside expertise in their grant-making areas with staff or with an advisory board can also broaden their own learning and development. We also encounter families who don't want to involve younger or rising generations while the founding or elder generation is still alive. And there can be many reasons for this, but it can also be a great risk not to engage them. The younger generation that inherits this philanthropic responsibility may not be prepared for it, 
may not have an understanding of why it is important to the founder or to the family's legacy and may dissipate the opportunity to have great impact, even unintentionally. And we often see that there's great joy in the passage of these values and in the founder activating multi-generational engagements while, while they're still alive to see it and also participate in it. And finally, a private family foundation structure provides the opportunity to allow family members with different interests to be involved and play a meaningful role. Private foundations can bring families together around shared interests while also having and activating different passions. Instituting some of these ideas and strategies can hopefully make family philanthropy a joyful and collaborative process and one where family members learn more about the causes they care about as well as each other. And of course, you don't have to do, it lo do this alone. Engage your UBS financial advisor for help with philanthropic advice, with foundation or family meeting facilitation, values discussions, financial education for younger generations, and so much more. It is more important now than ever uh, during this time as we all navigate COVID-19 that you know your UBS financial advisor and all of us are here to support you and your families. That's great advice, Nicole. Thank you so, so much. It was great to speak with you today. And thanks for all this uh, incredible information that you shared with us today. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Of course. Again, we've been speaking with Nicole Sebastian, a senior strategist within the Family Office Solutions Group at UBS representing the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team. As Nicole said so astutely, please make sure to reach out to your financial advisor at UBS. They are the best resource of information for you about the topic that we discussed today or anything having to do with your financial life, your portfolio, your family, whatever you need. They are there for you. Make sure to reach out to them. From New York, I'm Anthony Pastore. Have a great day, everyone. We'll speak with you soon. This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. In providing wealth management services to clients, we offer both investment advisory and brokerage services, which are separate and distinct and differ in material ways. For information, including the different laws and contracts that govern, visit UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, SIPC.